Hi folks, how are you? Hope this finds you well. It's been a busy old month so far, even if we aren't even halfway through November. It's my favourite time of year, to be honest, because there's always so many films around to see in the lead up to award season and festivals and all that kind of thing. So I have been swimming in a wonderful ocean of creativity over the past few weeks. Uh, in fact, today I just returned from watching Licorice Pizza, the new Paul Thomas Anderson film. We are waiting with bated breath to see whether we can get time with him. I've put in so many requests for him and also for his regular his regular uh, companion when it comes to creativity in the form of Johnny Greenwood. But he also ties in with this week's episode, actually, um, in a second. So I'll tell you all about that in just a second. But I just wanted to say thank you so much for all your lovely feedback as well. Uh, Ben's been putting out these fantastic little video clips or as little teasers to either existing episodes, forthcoming episodes. And we've got some great stuff on the way. So many great interviews to come. I'm very excited to share them with you. I managed to get Lin-Manuel Miranda talking about many things. Hamilton, obviously. Tick, tick, boom. His new, uh, his first actually, his directorial debut in a feature film, uh, which stars Andrew Garfield, which is utterly outstanding. It's so good. But anyway, loads of that kind of thing to come, which is great. I'm looking forward to sharing them with you as well. Um, and thanks for the response to Chloe Zhao as well. It was really great. It was quite a short chat, but it was really great to get the opportunity to talk to her. Um, considering we've kind of bookended the year with her, to be honest, because we spoke to her at the start of the year very briefly about Nomadland um, and then getting the chance to chat to her about, you know, the wealth of of uh, input there was in Eternals, a huge, huge film and one that I really enjoyed as well. I watched it with my kids and we had a great time. So thanks for the response to that as well. But our latest guest in this bumper run of soundtrack, and if you haven't already discovered that we are releasing two episodes a week at the minute, is the Chilean director Pablo Laran, who brought us many gems, including Tony Monero and Jackie. Now, Pablo's latest film is Spencer, which I'm sure you've seen posters for or you've heard about. But it tells the story of Princess Diana's decision to end her marriage to Charles. It's an amazing kind of insight into a specific time period within the end of their relationship. And she is played by Kristen Stewart in the leading role. And wow, I mean, it's absolutely phenomenal. It's it's a very interesting film. It really, really is a fantastic character study. And it gets able support from Timothy Spalls in there. Sally Hawkins is amazing. Sean Harris as well. And Spencer is scored by Johnny Greenwood. See, I told you there was a connection. And it's with one of his cues that we begin. The boys. <laughs> The 
um, it's an absolute treat to welcome you to our little podcast soundtrack. And thank you so much for your time, sir. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I'm happy to be here. Before we dive into Spencer, we have talked about you a fair bit in the past, particularly with the fabulous Mika Levy, who we had on the, the podcast about a year ago, maybe. I don't know. I think it was pre-COVID. COVID's this weird time zone that no one really knows when things happen. So Yeah, we all lost sense of time, right? <laughs> yeah. So weird, isn't it? So bizarre. It's, it's very weird. Congratulations on, on Spencer. Um, it's an extraordinary film. We'll get to music and Mr. Greenwood's brilliant score in a second. But I was really interested to, to find out where this journey started for you with this particular film. Well, I guess it started many years ago. I saw my mom as I grew up being so interested on 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 Diana and I was very curious to know why. And then she died in 97 and you know all of a sudden I just realized that my mom was just one among millions and I kept being very curious why there's such an incredible amount of interest in, on her and then you know for the process of this movie I, of course, did an extensive research, you know, books, articles, movies, TV shows, documentaries, you name it. And what is incredible is that the more I digged into, the less I knew. It's, it's, and, and I guess that's because she, she was very mysterious, you know, and, and that it's great for cinema. And, and well, you talked to, to Mika and, and we were, not just now, I did other things in between, but I was coming out of Jackie. And we thought that, you know, maybe it was a good opportunity to try to get into the myth of, of Diana, because that's what I think it is. It's a, it's, a, it's a tragic myth, and that somehow it became part of the universal narrative. And, and this is another version, another take on, on, on her life, I think. The extraordinary thing about the film, I think, is that Yes, it is this this kind of exploration on in this of her kind of her state of mind, her her kind of almost trying to escape um, over this very short period of time. But it could also be a, a kind of study of so many other people, I think, as well, in terms of a really interesting look at mental health, I think, as well, you know, in terms of how your your surroundings, the people that you you live with, your responsibilities the way that you're treated by other people, how they can all weigh up on an individual. And I, I love that other side to the film as, as well that's, you know, that she's experiencing, that she's going through. Uh, yeah, but what I, I agree, what, what I think is also interesting is that eating disorders, mental health issues, and all, you know, those crises are very common. And I think uh, to a certain extent, we can all suffer different levels of, things that are similar. And I think that's one of the reasons why she created such an incredible amount of empathy. Of course, this idea of this sort of princess, uh, the fairy tale and, and, and the royal family, you know, queens, kings, and all that narrative. But at the same time, it's a private side that is more internal, that is full of panic and terror. And it's, um, and it's difficult. And, it's, um, and we wanted to go there and to, to sort of uh, experience that and, and and not to walk away from from it, and it's important, you know, not to give our backs to that and to dive into it and and to understand that it's as common as possible that whatever she experienced 
And that's why it's so striking. And it's, you know, you could feel that, you could think that maybe someone like her had a, such a different life and, and, and somehow she was very normal and ordinary and regular. And, and that's how, you know, she would just go on television or in, or an interview or whatever. And she would say that she had eating disorders because she had problems and, and an eating disorders. We know that it's a consequence of, of a mental health problem. And so when she, she does that, then, then she just, you can only connect with her, you know, and, and that's what I think we, we try to do. I think that's the reason everybody felt like they knew her. You know, you talk about your mum. I remember when she passed away and my mum came down to London from Scotland and we both went to Kensington Palace and laid flowers and my mum stood in the queue to sign the book of condolences. This was a woman who meant, you know, that millions of people had never met, but they felt like they knew her. They felt like she was... They were connected to her in, in some way. And, and even though this film is so, you know, you see the solitary nature of, of her existence, you still get that feeling of how, of the connection that she has with people, whether it's, you know, Maggie, her dresser, or, or Darren, the, the chef, you know, she's, she's a people's person. She kind of, you know, she likes to be around people. She doesn't like to be alone. She likes to have people that she can kind of connect with and I think you've done this in such a beautiful beautiful way sorry that wasn't even really a question that was just me <laughs> thank you you know, you know what it is is that I really appreciate and and you know what it is as well is that and it, and, it, and it's something that is it's, it's I it, this is great of course to Steve Knight a writer he, he saw the possibility of having her interacting with others that aren't they weren't exactly members of the family Besides her kids, of course, they're very relevant in the movie, but but she would talk to and and be more truthful with those who were somehow most similar to her. And that people was usually on the staff, you know, they're members of the service. And and yeah, it's what you say. Somehow we all have a version of Diana and herself. And and a lot of people felt that, like your mother, that that felt that that even though very few people actually met her. A lot of people felt that they were close to her, and that is is fascinating for for cinema, which is which is what I do. I'm not a journalist, and I'm not a documentary maker. I, I work with fiction, and, and yeah, as as we have it in the beginning of the movie, it's a fable from a true tragedy. I love that. You know, it's it's a good once upon a time, basically, for the film. Yes, <laughs> it really, good. really is. Yeah, let's talk about the music because there's. I loved the the kind of almost two sides to this. And you have this, this fantastic almost sort of freeform improvisation of jazz going on that for me is almost her internalization. It's hard. It's kind of what she's going through. The music's almost kind of saying more than dialogue can in terms of her state of mind at that particular moment in time. That's what I took from that side. And then you have this kind of more traditional Baroque style that's going on that's can that's almost the kind of uh it's the tradition, you know, it's it's everything that she's surrounded by, that kind of, that she's got to be in that role and perform in that role and the, the kind of static nature of it all. It's, I thought it was so powerful and so brilliant and such a character in the film as well. I, yeah, I don't know what else to say. You said it all. It's, it's, <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's, thanks, good night. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And I, of course, that's Johnny. I mean, I mean uh, he, he had the... You know the first idea of of of, of doing something that felt more, more like quote unquote royal music, right? Which is something that would properly fit there, um, and that's the baroque sample. And even the instrumentation that he used is very sort of classic and and 
or very linked to what we could think that's the music that it's proper to what may be listened or or you know it has this part of this understood as 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 the proper historical process that can be linked to a specific type of music. And then he, you know, he mentioned the idea of breaking it with, with, with jazz, with free jazz. And I was like, whoa, okay. And I was, you know, it's, it is a, a, a bit of a bold move, but if someone can do that, it's him. So I was just like, I was like, of course, you know, sure. Do you want to try it? Exchange some references here and there, and, and we um, we had a very interesting way of communicating because I'm very slow writing in English, and and he writes very great emails and they're very particular and very specific. And at some point, I said, Tony, do you mind if I instead of writing you because I we go into production, so it was to write a proper email. It would take me a very long time. I'm very slow writing in English, so I asked him if he would be okay to. If I could send him like uh, voice messages, so so that's how we communicate. He would write back and send music, and I would send this little podcast, you know, uh, that I try to make short so it wouldn't annoy him. 
and that's how we established this communication. And 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 I was very uh, sort of curious to because first he started sending more of the of the you know the baroque music that was absolutely beautiful and 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 it's baroque, but at the same time is 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 coming from from Johnny who has a very particular and and specific signature and so it, whatever the reference that we discussed it, it was all ultimately processed by him and his the way that he composed so the string arrangements are the very particular and and so that music was had already a big weight and and we quickly tried it with the things that we were shooting and, and our editor was quickly putting it together and it worked really well really quickly Then the, the jazz came in and and I was very curious to see how we could combine it. And then later in the process, he sent pieces that had the Baroque and the jazz in the same piece. And that was, you know, um, an incredible revelation that it was not only possible, but it was something that it was going to take the movie to a different place. Um, because it's, it's exactly as you say, it's just that the Baroque represents the tradition, the family, and that kind of world and logic. And then the jazz comes in expressing free jazz and jazz dance, which is a very free act of music, whether it's composed or playing. So we usually use the jazz only with her in the movie. We played the jazz only when Diana was on, on, on camera, on, on the scene. And that worked in two layers, one in, in to somehow create a dimension of panic and terror. And in another level, in another layer, it worked in, in another dimension that, that it was to express her freedom, you know, and, and how free she, she was or could eventually be.
so it creates a very strange balance that what is really wonderful is that we could spend hours talking about it, but the truth is that we can't describe it because it's music and you have to listen to it. And it's it's a form of art that I that I admire. I'm, I'm a frustrated musician and I try to, I told Johnny, I try to... Are you? Yeah, I try to play instruments. I try to play piano and guitar. And, and, and then, you know, the teachers that try to help me it was just, you know, it's not going to work. You know, you're not. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm lucky. And then I found a, a, a camera and, uh, you know, I, it took me here. So I'm, I'm not complaining, but I, I do have uh, an enormous love for music. And But the silences are as, as important, I think, as to where the music is placed. And I was interested to find out at what point Johnny started creating and what he was creating too. Was it just script or, or were you already shooting? So did he see footage? Because Kristen's performance is extraordinary. I mean, I, I think she's an amazing actress. I think that her she's got a, a fantastic breadth, but I I never saw her doing anything like this. And I'm so glad that you did, because I think that it's it's extraordinary. It's brilliant. She's so great. And it feels that so much of the music is 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 almost kind of under the skin of her performance in a way. So I wondered whether he was writing to her performance parts of it or the script or, or what, what was he creating too? Well, well, you know, all the process of understanding what we wanted to do and what Johnny wanted to do, um, it was probably throughout the script and, and, and a lot of, you know, of this interaction with email and, 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 and this little podcast. And I, I never, I actually never met him because COVID doesn't help. I think we had one Zoom call and then it was just email. And But I think most of it, I, I, I'm trying to remember with more precision, but or a lot of it came before. And then we start shooting and he keeps sending music. And then eventually, once we had certain scenes, we send them over. So he knew what we were shooting. And then he did other pieces uh, but mostly, I believe he worked around the things that he had already recorded. So I would say that most of it was made before we shot, and that was very helpful for me because I had all of his music in my phone, and I would switch my headset from you know the sound of production towards my phone to listen to the music while we were changing scenes or takes, and it really helped me because. Cinema is about tone, uh, it's about atmosphere, but a lot is about rhythm and speed. So his music gave me the right path. So I tried to sort of serve the music as well with the, the sort of the tone and the mood. And it, it really helped me. And I would play to Kristen too, you know, what I had a speaker. I, it was funny, I had a speaker, like a big speaker, like around my neck so I would be this guy walking on the set with this huge speaker in my belly you know and and I would play music depending on the scene for her that was coming from 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 Johnny and 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 that I guess it just created some sort of spiritual connection I don't know how to express it
there's the I mean there's so many great there's a couple of scenes that I wrote down specifically where that kind of marriage of performance and music is great and it's so interesting you saying that because even the the kind of uh the sandwiches scene you know she's like you know the sandwiches and then the way that the kind of jazz comes back in and it's kind of and then the sort of twinkling sound of sort of chandeliers is there as well and it's just this it's such an insight into where she is at that specific it's so powerful and brilliant it really really is that was just one of a couple of scenes that really I thought were so clever with the the way the music kind of um yeah it kind of it, it said more than I think than any dialogue could yeah and it's you know it's uh, it's incredible what what we worked really hard and I guess it was one of the biggest challenges it was really to be inside of her you know and, and and see the world through her perspective and and there are ways that sort of tools to do that that sometimes can be more or less successful but but yeah and, and it's how can you inhabit her perspective and how could you be with her so when when some strong emotions or, or sequences come up you can actually be be with her and that's that's great and it's mm. beautiful and it's also a lot of fun you know why not yeah yeah I also love the church scene as well and the way the kind of the church organ and then the way that when they leave the church it's again when you were talking about how Sometimes he would go from the Baroque into the jazz and sort of almost this sort of a, almost a wave between the two. And that's a kind of I love the sort of manipulation of that traditional music at that in that scene where they're all in that kind of. You know. But, but you know that, it, that there's a piano composition that it, it ended up being called Spencer, I think, in the record that will come up. Uh, but originally the working title was Partita like as, as, a, as a Bach partita, you know, and it's a composition in piano that's very simple, but extremely complex in, in, in its simplicity. And he sent, I remember when he sent a few ideas about the things that we were discussing, and he said, he, he wrote like PS, like postscriptum. I also was playing on the piano and I did this. And I'm like, okay, I played that and I wrote him back. I said, look, this is what it is. This is the main theme of the movie. Because it it has this sort of sort of baroque type of melody, but at the same time goes into into something that only Johnny can do. It's a, it's a mix of things and emotions and tones that I wouldn't know how to describe it. But that piano piece, and and eventually Johnny said, "Look, I think we might be using it too many times." I'm like, "No, it's it could be repetitive for us, you know, because we listen to it all the time. But I don't think it would be for the audience." Because I've been listening to it for months in the editing room, and and uh, I'm not tired of it. And it, it 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 has something that is very internal and it feels very, I don't know. It just gets into your bloodstream, and <clears throat> and then my daughter stopped playing with it, and, and she ended up playing it. So I I was working with it <clears throat> all day long. I would listen at work, and I would come back home. And my daughter was playing it, <laughs> and I, I I never got tired. I until today I could listen to it endlessly. So yeah.
why Johnny? Was there a particular score of his that was the reason that you thought he could work his magic for you? Of course, a big, a big fan from you know. From, I grew up with the band, you know, of course, and 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 I understand that there's people who, you know, looks up at his work in in, in scores and he had done you know work with incredible filmmakers, but both. I think um, there will be blood and and phantom thread. Those, those two scores, oh my God, it's just, uh, I don't know, I would listen to them, you know, on a loop, you know, and, and I really, really wanted to work with them um, because um, I feel that it's always very unexpected and it's, it's very new. And there's, there's a piece in the, in, the, in the movie that is quite short, that is called, a, I don't know what, I don't remember right now what's, what's the, the name that he had, but finally, it was like Lacky Mosa, which is a very it's and it's when she's crying in her own room uh, when she's able to get into the house and I don't want to spoil the movie, but there's a point that she's actually sitting and very lonely and crying in the room that she lived when she grew up, and and then that piece of music comes in as she walks in and she has some memories and. The way that that strings are composed and the way that the players play them, combined with everything else that he did in the movie, is you know it's it's wonderful. It's not just beautiful, but it's what is great is when you work with someone that you know that his music can only be made by him.
that is a very powerful thing that it, that's what I guess made him a, such a real strong artist that his com his music it's so specific to his vision and he can be very generous to work with others but never really negotiating with what he does he's you know and it worked out beautiful I, I love it and it's gonna be um, there will be a vinyl eventually coming out that's Christmas sorted <laughs> I, I, I said the same and, and I you know it's just I, I I'm just I told him I was just happy that I was ever involved in something like this I love the I love the ending of the film. Um, I was I was interested if that was if it was easy to kind of decide on the end. And I love that you give us a sing along at the end. I was singing my heart out to bit of Mike and the Mechanics at the end there. You know, as if I was in the car with them. I love that. So nice. It kind of it's nice to have a. There is so much tragedy around her, and you know I think the world still misses her as well. You know, it's kind of um, and and this is a. I feel like you give her such a lovely. You give her a lovely ending in this film. Yeah, it would look because the structure of the movie is it's, it's started with a huge crisis that then turns into, into a sort of more of a psychological terror process where, where the panic and the, and, the, and the horror, it's very vivid. And then eventually she decides to be herself and, and sort of comes to the realization that the, she can just do something as simple as just walk out. It might be a big decision, but and as she does, there's the point that they just get into the car and and the music that comes from her own tapes that with the cassette that, that could have been in that car. And then the kids, you know, William just pumps it up and 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 then it was a whole process to decide what that song could be. It was a very long process and 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 I had a a few ideas that came from from different people that was involved, and that there were I had at least eventually playlist. And then I I because you know it's funny because because of the kids were a lot around because usually in a movie you know actors and would come in specifically for the days that they're shooting. 
but we were in, in lockdown, so we had them around, and, and sometimes we were shooting in the same place we were we were sleeping in a hotel or or some of these big houses, these castles, and and so the kids were around all the time. Sometimes they would come in and say, "Hey, can I stay?" I'm sure, just get here, and they would be with me in the video. You know, they kept, they became part of the family, the kids. And because one day I, I we were with Kristen and the kids, and I. I said, like, let me try what, what do they feel with this song? So I played the, the, the song and, and they were quickly singing it and it, it, something happened. So it's not only that I thought it was the right song, but mostly it was what happened with them, you know? And, and that is what you can see in the movie when they're singing in the car, it's very real. They were actually singing it. And it was just beautiful. And I thought it was, you know, proper for the period, it, it could be an amusing, a song that she might have liked. And also it's a band that, you know, it, some of them, the musicians come from Genesis, which is uh, especially the beginning of, of, of the first records of, of that band. It's, I, I love that I grew up with them. And I don't know, it feels like right for the period and, and it was just a fun thing to do. And it was something that would come from the car and those speakers, and that was important. It's not the music of the film is something that happens inside of the story so it kind of makes sense yeah it's lovely I said go if you wanna go stay if you wanna stay I didn't care if you hung around me I didn't care if you went away and I know you were never right I'll admit I was never I was watching it as well, whether for Kristen, you know, of someone who was thrown into the limelight at a very young age and having to deal with the kind of media attention at a very young age, of whether that was something you spoke to her about, of, of pulling from, you know, her own experiences of trying to maintain privacy, really, of someone trying to to find that right relationship with the press and the media. You know, it's funny, I understand the question really, really well, and we have... Yeah. Uh, but the truth is that I never thought about it. I mean, because I, I'm not very into that. I don't look at it very much. Yeah. Uh, but I personally thought that she was just the best option as an actress. And of course, maybe that was important for her, her for her process. But that's probably an answer. It's a question more for her than me. For her. Yeah. Uh, uh, but honestly, I, I never really cared much about that type of uh, relationship in the, the potential sort of privacy issues in, in, in Christian's life compared to Diana that I think if, if there were any that are very different because of obvious enormous distance that they have in both mm. those lives but but yeah honestly I understand the question I don't want to avoid it but I just don't it's not something that I consider and um, before we run out of time are two things that will allow us to um, dive back into them if you don't mind quickly it will give us an excuse to play Saturday Night Fever, to be honest. Um, uh, Tony Monero from 2008. And just this idea of a character obsessed with John Travolta, which uh, that the character from Saturday Night Fever. Do you mind just talking kind of briefly about that film and that character and what that, why that narrative, why that story? 
Yeah, it's it's the movie set in the darkest days of the dictatorship that, that occurred in my country. Uh, it was a long dictatorship, and it's about sort of the transformation and how you know a political process linked to an economical project could just create a you know a, a, a big amount of distress and eventually create a psychopath. You know, and, and so it's a it's a very it's an uneducated man. Uh, that lives in Chile in, in and he's in his fifties and and in 1978 the movies released all over the world and in Chile as well, and it was one of the very few movies that were allowed by the dictatorship back then because it didn't have a very evident political message, and the movie was very popular and then eventually on television there's a lookalike contest so so many people would go and try to dance and 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 look like uh, John Travolta back then so our characters trying to look like him and and in the process of doing so he just starts killing people so it's kind of a metaphor of 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 the reality of a, of a very very bloody dictatorship that we were going through and it's played by beautiful by Alfredo Castro as uh, one of my masters and 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 of course there's music in it and and and, and the BGs uh, they have a big role and <laughs> and and the BGs were actually very kind because it was a very of course uh, with a limited budget movie made a few years ago and and we asked for 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 the rights for the songs and they were yeah okay use them and and it, it they didn't charge as much they could have and I probably they would have the, the movie would have never existed in the way it is and they were very generous to us, and not just him, not just them, but also John Travolta, who's on the movie. So we had to ask for his, to, to the permission to use his image in the film. Wow! And he also went for the minimum of the that the union would ask them to to charge us. So we they were and also Parliament Pictures, I think, uh, that allowed us to use some of the images from the film, from the original film. So there were all these people being very generous to us, and then allowed us to 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 make this very sort of strange and dark movie that is, has this absurd kind of context where, where they dance, uh, you should be dancing. That's the song. run out of time we haven't even had a chance to chat about Jackie because it very much feels that music is such an important part of your your collaboration and your process and and it just works so magnificently in 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 your creative vision um and uh, and it's a real treat to get to chat to you Pablo thank you thank you look at music it's um it's a very important element because what what I think it does is that you have the image and the sort of the dramatic elements coming from picture right and then and then you have music and what, what a, a great musician would do. And I had the chance to work with someone like Mika and, and Nicolas Jar and, and now with, with Johnny is that they would create something that has not only a life by itself, but something that when you put it with picture, it would create a third idea. It's not, music is never really supporting exactly what we're seeing. It's not that we, we're sad and we play sad music and, and, and so on. It's not repeating the code. It's just bringing something else that would elaborate 
something that that can have a, a cinematic power and yeah i'd love to talk to you hope we we could do it again what a treat i'm off to go and dance to the bgs now for a lunchtime um it's great to chat to you um take care pablo and massive congratulations on spencer it's a it's an extraordinary film thank you for your time thank you so much a pleasure talking to you take care From the soundtrack to Jackie, that's Tears by Mika Levy, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Pablo Laran. Now, before I tell you about who's coming up next, um, a word from our dear friends at Noom that I've uh, been involved with and definitely, definitely feel a difference with. I don't know about you, but for me, the last two years have played havoc with my general well-being as a result of pretty bad eating habits, I would say. I'm sure I'm not alone. So what to do about it? Well, I remember growing up and watching my mum and my aunts try pretty much every diet under the sun. There was a different one every month and there was nothing really aimed at long term of changing your habits, your bad habits. So when a few of my mates talked to me about Noom and its psychology-based approach to eating healthier, I was all ears. Now, when I say psychology-based, it is basically about changing your habits identifying those things that trigger unhealthy eating and looking at ways to change them. So I signed up, I'm a a good few months in now and with my new experience and I've got to say that I'm really impressed. I do like logging my meals and learning about what might trigger cravings for certain types of foods and the thing is that we're all such unique beings, our lifestyles are different and that's where Noom really works because it customises a programme specific to you. Now, there's an element of commitment, as I said, but it's about 10 minutes a day. And I recognise the importance of that commitment to help me take steps to being healthier and have a healthier eating plan. So working on cognitive behaviour to help you on a healthier journey, both in terms of food and exercise, is really empowering. It's about educating and training your brain so that it makes the best choices for you to achieve your goals. Rather than saying, you can't eat that. Oh, you can't eat that. But I already feel it's having a positive impact on kind of my total well-being, to be honest. My skin, my sleep, my brain. In short, I think I'm in from the long haul. I'm looking forward to seeing the progress and the programme through and trying to make positive changes for good. So if you feel like this is something you could benefit from or you're interested in trying it out, then there's an opportunity for you, our lovely soundtrack and listeners, to try it out. Sign up for your trial and get psychology-based support to lose the weight for good at noom.com forward slash sound. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash sound. Lose the weight for good. Sign up for your trial at noom.com slash sound. My huge thanks to Pablo for joining us. Spencer is in cinemas now with Johnny's score available via Mercury KX. In fact, 
it is released now. Uh, do follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. Please rate and review the podcast if you haven't already. If you head to edithbowman.com, you can hear every episode that we've released up to date, including previous episode with the aforementioned Mika Levy. Next up, as we continue serving you two episodes a week, I am joined, I loved doing this interview, by St. Vincent and Kari Brownstein discussing the Nowhere Inn. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company there.